When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Fish Trapped and Filtered on the Fish on First Podcast Network. My name is Kevin Barral, and I am here with my co-host, Isaac Azut. Isaac, what's up? I'm very excited with the guest we brought on today. I mean, a legend here in Miami, former MLB player. I mean, it's I, I'm very excited to have uh, our guest, and I'll just let you introduce him. Yes, well, like you said, uh, a legend, I would say, here in the broadcasting community in South Florida, Mr. Tommy Hutton. Thank you so much for joining us, man. How are you? Hey, Kevin and uh, Isaac, I'm, I'm good. I'm happy to join you. I don't know about the legend stuff, but uh, just happy to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess first thing we can start with is just sort of how you transition. You know, you, you, play with, you finished up with Montreal, and that's where you started your broadcasting career. If you could sort of tell us how that transition came about. Well, it was actually a very interesting transition. I had uh, last year I played was 1981, but in 1980, after the season, I uh, sat down, and uh, this was way before uh, emails and all that stuff, and I sat down and I wrote letters to a lot of ball clubs uh, saying that I knew my career was, was winding down and I had an interest in broadcasting. So uh, I did that. I, I got a few responses, but uh, I was with the uh, Montreal Expos playing at the time in 81, and uh, in I think it was July or August when I got released, the uh, general manager, John McHale, uh, was actually sitting on the bench, and they released me. I was sitting with Dick Williams, the manager, to one side, and John McHale on the other. He said, but we know you have an interest in broadcasting. If you'd like to stay with the team the uh, remainder of the season, you can help out on radio. So uh, mm -hmm. I did that. I did pre- and post-game shows, and I, did, uh, uh, I didn't do any play-by-play. -play. I just did color. Uh, but then... As the next couple of seasons unfolded, I told myself, I said, look, I, I was a 248 lifetime hitter. I wasn't a big superstar. So I'm going to try to learn how to do play-by-play -play and, and learn more of 
broadcasting and become a broadcaster as opposed to an ex-player who's in the broadcast booth. So uh, I worked on play-by-play. I ended up doing a little bit more radio each year. And then finally when uh, uh, the sports network, TSN, came into, uh, into being in Canada, uh, yeah. the first year of that, 1986, I did the uh, television with Ken Singleton. Uh, we were uh, partners up there in Montreal. So that's how things started. I, I actually, the, the amazing thing is that I got released. That was a Sunday. And on Wednesday, I worked a game on the radio. So I always tell people in, in over 55 years in the game, I was, I was really out of the game a couple of days. But actually, I was preparing for that Wednesday broadcast. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would, would wish that, you know, when one career ends, that another one would come about so quickly afterwards. Something I wanted to ask you about your playing career, because it's something that you're sort of known for. This one pitch, I don't know if you've heard of him, Tom Seaver. You <laughs> own him. You own him. That's like understanding a little bit. You hit 320 against him, drew 11 walks, hit three homers, drove in 15 runs. How in the world did you see him so well? Yeah, and a good OPS. We didn't know anything about OPS back then. Right. right? Uh, uh, you know what? He threw a lot of fastballs, and, and I was a pretty good fastball hitter. It, it was one of those things that became – because I wasn't an everyday player, but it was one of those things when – if I got on a little bit of a streak and all of a sudden I was with the Phillies at the time, let's say, and we were going to play the Mets uh, – Danny Ozark, the manager, he'd go, hey, you're going to be in the lineup tomorrow. Seaver's pitching. Uh, guys would come up to me in the clubhouse, and they'd go, hey, you're probably, you're probably good for two or three hits tonight. Seaver's pitching. So it, it became <laughs> mental. It becomes a mental thing. And uh, nobody ever believes this, but I actually told him one year, I think it was 73 or 74, uh, we opened the season, the Phillies in New York. Of course, it was Steve Carlton against Tom Seaver. And because he was on the mound, I wasn't the, the first baseman. I wasn't going to be first base that year. I was just a backup guy. But I opened the season playing first base, and I hit cleanup <laughs> that day against Seaver. So uh, uh, not, too, not too often. I think I only hit cleanup one other time. <laughs> and how did you do that day? Uh, I was one for three. I was one for three, but Seaver beat Steve Carlton in a game that was under two hours, I would imagine, too. <laughs> wow. I'm sure we don't we didn't see that for a while until you know now with the new rules. But Tommy, I mean, when we look back at your career, you've never been hit by a pitch in your career. That's right. That's right. You had 1,920 plate appearances, and not once you were hit by a pitch. I mean, I, I don't even know what to, like. That's just an accomplishment that probably will never be done. Again. Well, I wouldn't call it an accomplishment. I, I would just say I was, uh, you know, maybe I was nimble on my feet, quick on my feet. I will say. I will say in the minor leagues, and I played uh, seven years in the yeah. minor leagues, five in AAA, uh, I was hit a number of times. So I did get hit in the minor leagues, but uh, for whatever reason, hey, maybe that's why at 77 years old, I'm still in pretty good shape. I never got hit. <laughs> yeah, you're sort of the opposite of, uh, of Derek Dietrich. That guy would get hit every yeah, yeah. Like every five at-bats. But you mentioned you, you did pinch hit a lot in your career, and I was just curious about the mental game, how – Difficult or maybe not difficult it is to stay focused for seven, eight innings and be called upon whenever it was, whether it was, you know, in the ninth or eighth, you'd be called upon to face a guy sort of cold. How was it to do that? Well, it was, uh, first of all, you always, uh, I did anyway, I appreciated any manager that I played for that would give you a little heads up. Uh, mm -hmm. If if so-and-so's coming in, 
maybe in the sixth, seventh inning, eighth inning, you might pinch hit. If you had a little heads up, that always helped. Uh, we didn't have all the, uh, the knowledge that players have today. Uh, we weren't able to go back and look at video of the possible pitcher that we might have to face. It was all on, I used to keep a notebook. I, you know, it was all doing things like that. And, and a lot of times, especially in, and I think that the shot you're seeing was at, at Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field was horrible to pinch hit because there was no place to get loose. Uh, the dugout was small. Uh, you could run up a little runway and maybe get your legs loose a little there. The runway wasn't wide enough to swing a bat, so you couldn't even do it there. Now they right. have uh, areas where you can hit off a tee and, and do stuff like that. So there were a lot of ballparks years ago that were tough to, to get ready and pinch hit in. I took a lot of pride in it. Um, I, I, I found myself focusing better. I actually, I think, had a, a better pinch hit batting average than uh, regular overall average. And uh, I think I ended up with uh, 78, 79 uh, career pinch hits, which uh, I took pride in that. Yeah, so Tommy, just going back to the broadcasting, you go with a couple teams, you're, you're broadcasting. How, how did you end up joining what was at the time the Florida Marlins? What was that transition like, the well, process with the interview? and just Yeah, a cool story. Uh, well, maybe not so cool. Uh, over the years, I, I became very good friends. We were teammates, became very good friends with Gary Carter, uh, the late Gary Carter, with the Mets. And, mm-hmm. and Gary and I were neighbors. We used to play golf a lot together. I was working with the Toronto Blue Jays, and Gary and Jay Randolph were the first broadcasters for the uh, Marlins, 93, 94, 95, and 96. And I think it was during the season of 96, I got a call. I was up in Toronto, and I got a call from Gary, and he said, hey, the Marlins, I understand, are going to make some changes, and I believe it was Sports Channel at the time. They're going to incorporate Joe Angel and Dave O'Brien, who were on the radio, and they're going to make some changes. And, hey, maybe you and I can work together. So he was all excited about that. So I said, oh, great. I'll, I'll make a, a couple of calls and I'll, you know, see what's going on. Well, as I got deeper into the conversations, I found out they were getting rid of Gary. And here was my friend who opened the door to give him a call. So one thing led to another. And I ended up, uh, ended up getting the job and working uh, my first year in 1997 with the uh, uh, Dave O'Brien and Joe Angel, who split time on radio and TV. And, and Gary really went into minor, managing in the minor leagues, and I think that's really what he wanted to do anyway. So uh, after a couple of years, we, we were okay. Yeah, that's actually pretty interesting. And, you know, you had a long Marlins career, obviously, uh, broadcasting. You're back with them. Is there a favorite moment that you've had in the booth? I'm sure the Roy Holiday Perfect Game comes to mind. I was actually in attendance for that one as well. Is there a special moment that you really enjoyed being in the booth for? You know, just because uh, it's interesting when they get to postseason, uh, being on television, we're, we're really not in the booth. I remember in 03, uh, Len Casper and I did some pre- and post-game stuff, so we were involved. The, the clinching games in uh, 97 and 03 are always uh, fun to think about. I, I remember the no-hitters. I remember Anibal Sanchez. I remember... Remember the no-hitter that uh, A.J. Burnett threw when he – I think he walked nine guys. And yeah. about the about the fifth inning, you know, because there were base runners every inning. And about yeah. the fifth or sixth inning, I looked over at uh, Dave O'Brien, my partner, and I said, Obi, 
I said, I think he's got a no hitter going. <laughs> and we had to look up on the scoreboard, to figure out they had gotten a hit. But, uh, you know, I remember that. I remember, you know, seeing some of the bombs that Dan Ugla hit, uh, uh, that, that group was a good group to be around Mike Jacobs and Dan Ugla and all those guys. So I, re I remember that too. And see that booming drive, booming drive. Did he say booming drive? drive? <laughs> and his name is Dan Ugla. There's a simple way to stream your favorite Marlins games without all the hassle. He struck him out. The Bally Sports app brings you live games, highlights, gone. and extra team coverage so you can focus on the more important things. Done it again. Like rooting for your team. Way back there, way back, and it's gone! A grand slam! Bally Sports Florida, the Bally Sports app, and Bally Sports Plus, home of the Marlins. It's a Marlins win! That's something I actually want to get your opinion on, uh, Tommy. Obviously, you pinch hit a lot in your career. It's not, it's not something that happens anymore. A lot of new rules in Major League Baseball, universal DH, pitch clock. I'm just curious, your thoughts, banning of the shift. I'm curious about your thoughts on a lot of these rules, if there's one that you really dislike or if there's a couple that you really are for. Yeah, um, with the DH, there's not as much pinch hitting, obviously, because you don't have the pitcher coming up. Uh, right. And so you, you don't have as much pinch hitting, but you you have more versatile type players, uh, uh, guys like Garrett Hampson, guys like John Birdie, uh, yeah. Xavier Edwards, who's just called up. So you, mm -hmm. you have you love to have guys like that uh, with the with the DH and with the makeup of the team, the way the Marlins is. I, I'm really not opposed to uh, any of the changes. Uh, I was always a stickler for changing and not having the dh until over the years most kids that arrived at the big league level they didn't know how to hit because they didn't hit in high school pitchers they, they were dhing in high school so mm -hmm. when hitter when pitchers could hit and could really swing the bat and help themselves i thought it was a great game but i don't mind the dh because over the last 15 20 years a lot of uh a lot of pitchers just can't swing the bat, and to send them up there uh, at times was embarrassing. So I don't mind the DH. I don't mind the pitch timer. I think it's great. I, I think the pace of the game. I know doing games, we find ourselves not looking down at the scorebook and doing things like we used to. You really have to pay attention. Um, and the, the bigger bags, I don't see much of a difference. I don't think that's made, in my opinion, too much of a difference. Uh, pitchers going over a couple times. Maybe we might see a few more stolen bases but uh no I, I think the new rules no shifts fantastic uh <laughs> if a guy if a guy hits a ball can swing the bat i mean if you're going to create more action on the bases and get a few more base hits it's a better game it's a better game and yeah just going on to the game itself talking a little bit about the marlins they currently find themselves two games over 500 at the moment of the recording sandy's going to go on the mound and you know at 10 p.m for us but pretty soon for them uh, against the Giants, against Anthony Descalfani. Just tell me, what have been your thoughts on this team? I mean, definitely we're seeing a better product from last year, but we obviously see some issues that still we saw last year that we're seeing this year. Well, it's it's a better, uh, it's a better product. It's a better ball club, I think, than last year. Um, you know, they've had their injuries. Everybody has injuries. I hate to see uh, Jazz and, and also Jesus Sanchez because he was really swinging the bat well before he got injured. And I'm talking about two left-handed bats and, and somewhere down the road, that's going to have an effect because you get some good 
right-handed pitching, you like to have a couple of solid left-handed bats in the lineup. And with those two guys on the IL, you're not going to have. But watching the way Skip Schumacher handles what he has, really been impressed. I mean, the guys play hard for him. Uh, he's, he's hit and run a handful of times, maybe more, which you don't see too often anymore. And he, he plays that kind of game. And the bullpen, not always crazy about seeing a young pitcher coming out after five innings. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, because down the road, you're going to wear out your bullpen and, and guys are going to get burned out. But so far, so good. The bullpen's been good. I think as the year goes on, hopefully we'll see Luzardo take games a little deeper. Maybe Cabrera. I know they're going to be real careful with uh, Iori Perez. Uh, and, and when Trevor Rogers comes back, uh, hopefully he can take games a little bit deeper. And, and I know Sandy's going to turn things around because all of his stuff is there. He's, he's throwing the ball well, and uh, he just needs to keep the ball down a little bit more, and he'll be fine. Yeah, people keep asking me, what's wrong with Sandy? He'll be fine. I couldn't agree more. And I want to go back to something you mentioned, the left-handed bats or lack thereof. One of the main one, I think, on this team is Jazz Chisholm Jr. And some would say, you know, this he maybe doesn't get hurt if he's in center field, if he's not in center field. What, what were your initial thoughts when the team decided to put him in center field when they acquired Luis Arise? Well, first of all, let me ask you, how much time did he miss last year? A lot. A what lot. position did he play last year? Second base. All right. If you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. So it's not because of center field. Um, what was your question again? Because <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts on how he's adjusted. Oh, I position? thought I thought he was. I thought he made a great adjustment when I heard in spring training that uh, that was going to be the plan. I had yeah. no no issues at all. The only issue I had was, does he want to play center field? And and he does. And he did at the time. And he's put in a lot of work. He's put in a lot of time. And uh, I've, I've watched him play, and I, I don't think he, – he's had a couple of misplays. He's had a couple of misreads. That's to be expected. But other than that, overall, I think he's done a really nice job. And then the other play I wanted to ask you about is, is Erie. I mean, we've already seen this guy two starts in. What have been your initial thoughts on the kid? We saw him in spring training. Struggled a little bit, but showed the, the potential he had. And, I mean – He's looking good in the big leagues, and he's now slated to start at Coors Field against the Rockies. Yeah, that'll be interesting for him. Uh, you know, it's yeah. never a great place to pitch. But I think the thing that's impressive to me is that, first of all, he's 20. The, the, secondly, he's six foot eight, and he's able to repeat his delivery. And he's always, even when he was 18 and 19, he's always come with good control. That's always been one of the things that's been said about uh, – Iori, and, and that's amazing. Number one for a young pitcher, and number two for a guy who's six foot eight. Oh, two pitches over, called strike three, the first of many in the big leagues for Yuri Perez. The, you'd think it's difficult for a person of his height to just repeat delivery the way he has. I don't know if you're a big run differential guy, but the Marlins currently, I believe, have the second worst run differential in Major League Baseball, but they're two games over 500. Do you think that this is sustainable for this team? Do they have what it takes to, to go deep in a late September still in it? I think they do. I think it'd be better if the, the two left-handed bats were back in the lineup. Right. Uh, yeah. But if they can sustain while those guys are out, uh, you, you know, you never know. Uh, we saw it with Philadelphia last year. If you just get in, uh, that's all you need to do. And, and all of a sudden, if your pitching starts to click at the right time, 
that's uh, that's all that matters. And the last time I checked, they don't look at run differential to see who's first, second, and third place in the mm-hmm. uh, league. They look at first, second, and third place, who's a wild card. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a big run differential the way uh, the Atlanta Braves do. But uh, if they just keep battling away, I think this is a real telling road trip. They're, they're out for 10 days. Not easy. Uh, I mean, San Francisco, then you go back to Denver, and then back west to Anaheim. Giants are playing pretty good. Denver's always been a tough place uh, mm-hmm. for the Marlins to play. Uh, the Angels, they got a good chance of running into Otani in one of those games. So this is a tough trip. If they can, if they can play 500, if they go 5-5 five and five on this trip, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that's actually word for what we were saying before you hopped on to that. If they can get out of there 500, 5-5, five and five, that's, I think, yeah. the best-case scenario for this team. Last thing I wanted to ask you about this team specifically, obviously Skip Schumacher's first season as manager, and it just seems like he's, you know, making all the right moves, whether it's bringing in Brazoban at the right time or it's giving Segura a few days. Just seems to be doing everything right. What have been your thoughts on Skip's first season? I like the way he's handled a lot of guys. I love what he did with uh, Gene Segura, really struggling and, and a guy who you know eventually is going to hit and a guy who doesn't like to come out of the lineup. He wants to play. So yep. that's a move that a manager has to make, and, and he did that and was able to give him, with an off day included, was able to give him three days. And since that time, uh, he's been on fire. He swung the bat uh, ten times better. So uh, it's little things like that that managers do, uh, bringing in a pitcher at the right time. Uh, I, I don't like to see all the bullpen usage, but I think he's used it well uh, when needed, brought in the right left-hander, the right right-hander. Uh, and, and then he also ha- he gives guys a day off, um, a Solaire, maybe a Guriel probably needs a day off once in a while. Guys like this who, uh, Guriel's 38, 39 years old. Uh, so he, he does that. So all in all, I think he's done a really nice job. And then with Sandy, do you think maybe he's, you know, with Sandy, we see the Chicago game, we've, both Chicago games where he leaves them in the ninth and then the eighth. Do you think he's maybe leaving him out there too long where, you know, hitters are maybe trying to figure it out what Sandy's doing to them? I mean, this team has struggled, at least the pitching staff has struggled a lot, you know, the third time through the order. Do you think maybe maybe leaving him out a little too long is a mistake? Although, you know, we know Sandy, he doesn't want to get out of this game. But, mm-hmm. you know, at, at some point you you got to take him out and rely on the bullpen, which, you know, Floor and Puck, unfortunately, on the IL, they've been very reliable. Yeah, they are, but they can't pitch every night. And I think when Sandy's there, he's the best bet you have. Uh, yeah. He would be the first to tell you if he made the pitches that he he should have made in those uh, scenarios, uh, he would have still been there. And I think the worst thing, and, and you guys would probably, maybe not, maybe you wouldn't be all over. But let's say Sandy is out there, a little struggle, but he's still got the, he's still got the lead. And now they go to the bullpen. And a couple of guys give it up. Now, yeah. what are you going to say? Hey, should have let Smart. Sandy in. He's he's done that before. He knows what he's doing. So, yeah. if it ever comes to that, I'd rather see Sandy Alcantara out there. I agree. In that Chicago instance, I do think it was that one was the one argument where I was like, you know what? I, with Bellinger coming up, I think you go to Puck in that scenario. But you know, I I agree with that I'm sure if if things went south with someone else on the mound, it would have been complaining anyway. Last thing for me, we want to ask you about is just obviously the 30th anniversary. The Marlins Museum, I don't know if you had a chance to go check it out. The Teal's coming yeah, back yeah. every Friday. Your thoughts on the Marlins' real Teal history coming back this year? 
I think it's a great idea. Uh, the, the museum, I was able to go through a little bit the other day, took some time and went out there. I think the, uh, the, the teal uniforms on Friday, the throwbacks are, are fantastic. Amazing. Um, bringing in guys uh, every uh, weekend, guys from uh, the history. I think it's important to, to uh, celebrate the history of your franchise uh, because that history will get longer and longer and will build longer and longer. I mean, you look at a, a franchise like the, the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, you're talking over 100 years uh, and, and the Marlins in, in just 30. So I think it's been great and I think it's really important to do that. Yeah, and I think with that, we could uh, wrap it up, Isaac, unless you have anything else you want to add. Uh, no, just thank you very much, Tommy. Uh, even as a very young kid, I've been listening to you, and whether it's with Rich or with Paul, it's just been a pleasure to listen to you on TV and now get to interview. This was this was really awesome, so thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, Kevin, Isaac, my pleasure. I enjoyed talking to you guys. And with that being said, from Tommy, from Isaac, myself, we'll see you guys all in the next one. Peace out and go fish.